Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it is so good to see you. And your, your pastor is so emotional, a little teary-eyed, worship singing over there. And the more I get like that, the more the staff is very concerned that I'm going to preach a 90-minute sermon, and I just might. <laughs> I have it a little more scripted today just because I want to make sure that we are making space for the folks who will come in this second service. And Tamara, do I have the clicker somewhere? If not, that's okay. I can make do. You got it somewhere? Okay. We are starting a new sermon series. Thank the Lord. The death of me. I was exhausted. Talking about that week in and week out. And we have a new sermon series that I'm very excited about. Perhaps you've heard it before. The news is good. We decided to take this phrase that we repeat each and every week and to make it into its own sermon series because that's what the Easter series is and that's what we're going to do. Thank you very much. We are going to explore each and every week with the different texts that we have been given. And by the way, I'll be teaching from these Acts passages each week and they are mind-blowing, boundary-blowing. You're going you're gonna to love this entire series. It, it is going to wreck you in all the best sorts of ways because it's already wrecking me in some really good ways, but we are going to explore today and every week why it is that this news is good. The first question I need to ask, though, is have you ever been on the uninvited list? (laughs) Have you ever known there to be a party? Perhaps it's a wedding, maybe it's a team or something like that. Have you ever been a part of the uninvited crowd? Have you ever known yourself to be a part of the uninvited crowd? I have. I have. Have you ever felt that pain for somebody that you love? Maybe it, was a, maybe it is a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, a sibling or a, a grandchild. Have you ever felt that pain of not being on the invitation list? In fact, if anything, you're on the uninvited list. Disconnected, isolated. It is painful. And every time I have this this thought, I think back to a movie that kind of wrecked me all the way back in 2002. This movie is entitled Antoine Fisher. It's actually a movie that's based on a book by Antoine Fisher. His his autobiography became the screenplay for this movie, Antoine Fisher. And let me just tell you a little bit about his disconnection, his isolation. His father died just before he was born. His mother was arrested just before he was born on drug charges. 
So he was born in prison and immediately was uh, given over to the state. The state had care of him in the hopes that his mom, once released, would come and claim him. She was released. She did not claim him. Isolated, disconnected, no family. And then the nightmare scenario did take place. He was placed into the foster care system, and as fate has it sometimes, that there's just, there's just, every once in a while, there's a bad house, and he somehow found that house. And for over a decade, he was regularly abused, emotionally, physically, even sexually abused. The movie does a great job of peering into the mind of young Antoine Fisher. This young man, so completely dangerously disconnected and isolated and alone, dreamt of being in a family, dreamt of being in a safe family. And you get to see his dreams play out on the screen there in front of you. In fact, his dreams had a very particular shape to them. In his dreams, he is always being welcomed by a very large family up these steps and into this room where there is an amazing spread, <laughs> a huge meal. All of his favorite foods are there on the table, including his very favorite, which happens to be, because God was in it, pancakes. And in his mind, when you have the right sort of family, you can tell it at the table. So he would wake up from the dream, heartbroken, but he kept having this dream. But it, only, it just only underscored the fact that he was, in fact, isolated, alone, disconnected. Does that sound familiar, pandemic survivors? I have recently become aware of folks who have drifted away from our church in their isolation. The pandemic itself has been so costly, people who were lonely to begin with are even more disconnected now. The not connected, the uninvited, like Antoine, can only dream of what real family and real connection might be like. And I tell you when it's the worst. Can I tell you when it's the worst? When the people who are supposed to welcome you and invite you make space for you, when they don't, it hurts worst. It's why it hurt so badly for Antoine. It's why it hurt so badly for the people in the orbit of, let's say, a church or a Christian. The person, the people who are supposed to make space, room at the table, the people who are supposed to wear like a badge hospitality. When those people don't make space, the uninvited are desperately wounded. Now, you may not know it, but, but you and I, those of us in this room, we are typically not Jewish when we gather in this room. And because we're not, we probably should have some empathy for the people who are not yet invited because there was a time in the biblical narrative in our history when we were the uninvited, the not yet invited. There was a time. It's not that God didn't have us in mind. It's that God didn't choose us First, it's all over scripture. You can't miss it. In fact, if you need a reminder, here it is. God says to Abram who had become Abraham. Remember, he does have this dream to reach everybody, but he doesn't start this dream to reach everybody by choosing everybody. What he says is this, Abram, 
Go, you and Sarai who have become Sarah. I'm going to make a family out of you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And who, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a great verse. It's a great promise. And it produced insiders, which means that there would be outsiders. Insiders, though, with a purpose, a calling, but insiders nonetheless. And people like us were on the outside looking in. And this was the problem somewhere along the way. And by the way, this is still a threat for those of us who enjoy being insiders. But for the original insiders, somewhere along the way, the insiders became enamored with their insider status. So much so that they forgot the reason they were called in the first place. And having forgotten, they were no longer on a search and rescue mission. They were no longer the tangible embodiment of God's rescuing heart. Instead, the people of God were consumed. See, if this sounds familiar, the people of God were consumed with self-preservation, protecting themselves and their insider status from anyone and everyone who would threaten or infect, let's say, the purity of the insider movement. Rather than representing God and organizing to welcome and make space for the outsider, the insiders became hostile and exclusive. Does any of this sound familiar? Dangerous to outsiders everywhere. And people like us were on the outside looking in. And, and where in Scripture would you see this insider-outsider divide play out? When would you be most keenly aware that the insiders had lost the beat of the song of God, which was about welcome and hospitality, companionship and community? Well, you see it most clearly when it had to do with food and tables. As he grew up, Antoine Fisher regularly returns to the dream of being found and then welcomed around the family dinner table. And yet, he still grew up an outsider dangerously disconnected, dangerously alone. But remember Jesus. Remember all the times that Jesus got himself in trouble with his own people, the insiders, by the way, when he ate with outsiders. Insiders like Jesus weren't even supposed to talk with outsiders. You know that, right? Much less sit and share a meal. But that's how far the insiders had drifted from their calling to be the tangible presence of a welcoming God for the benefit of the outsiders. That's why they didn't get Jesus. They considered outsiders to be a threat to the insider status. But Jesus knew his calling. In fact, Jesus knew their calling. But even the disciples struggled to understand Jesus. And Jesus claimed to be the Savior, the Messiah, the one the insiders had been waiting for, allegedly. They, the disciples, didn't always understand why Jesus would eat with anyone and everyone, bending and breaking the purity rules that they'd learned at insider school because such a school existed and perhaps still exists. They didn't understand why Jesus didn't always toe the line where purity was concerned. They didn't understand why, if he was the Messiah, why he wasn't the strong man, military hero they've been told to look for and pray for and sing about. 
But they did know, the disciples did, that the insiders hated Jesus. And they were out to get him. And now, at this point in the story, they'd been witnesses to his betrayal, his arrest, his interrogation, his public humiliation, the horrifying torture, and finally his murder on a cross. And they'd also been firsthand witnesses to this mind-blowing sci-fi event that we understand to be the resurrection. They saw it, but they weren't quite sure what to make of it, not to mention the ascension. Join the crowd. But things did seem very different now. Jesus has conquered death, the worst that his enemies could throw at him, his enemies amongst both the insiders and the enemies throughout the outsider Roman Empire now occupying Jewish land. And yet Jesus had overcome all of it. So now what? And, and I want to say with them now, yeah, now what? What do we do with the resurrection? What is God doing with the resurrection? Because it seems like something has changed. Something is different. But what is it? What are we, church, supposed to do now? Have the rules changed? Does Antoine have hope that he didn't have prior to the resurrection? And honestly, this is what Peter wants to know. Peter needed to know. And you may not appreciate it just yet, but you and I and Antoine all need for Peter to figure this out because if Peter doesn't figure this out, there's a real chance that we're not here today. I think we get the cross. I am not convinced that we get the resurrection because the resurrection redraws all the lines. The resurrection changes the way a person is alive. The resurrection challenges all of the old assumptions, and by the way, still challenges all assumptions that are old, and offers a new alternative, a new way of thinking, being, acting, and that's what we see in Acts chapter 10. Let me kind of walk you through this story. There is this guy by the name of Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion. You all, he was not just an outsider. He was one of the more dangerous outsiders. He had a 100 Roman soldiers at his disposal. This was a man of great power. This was a scary person. And yet, he seemed to have this great interest in God. He seemed to have this great interest in the Jewish faith he was an outsider who had his nose pressed against the glass, aching to be inside, and God saw him. God saw him, and in fact, shows up at three o'clock in the afternoon and says, hey, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. God is doing something different now, and I want you to go get this guy by the name of Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner in another town, and I want you to send for him, this Jewish guy, to come and have a discussion with you and your household, Cornelius. And so Cornelius says, okay, I hear you. And he sent messengers to go get Simon Peter, the Jewish man, to bring him back to his household. Now, at that very same time, Simon Peter was hungry. And probably, just like me, when Simon Peter's hungry and he drifts asleep, guess what he dreams about? Yep, food. 
And so he's up on the roof, and he's hungry, and he's dreaming. And sure enough, he sees this vision. And in this vision, there is this entire sheet full of this huge spread, this huge meal. Here's the problem. It was all stuff that these young Jewish folks were told not to eat. At insider school, they said, hey, you can eat all kinds of things, but not this, 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 or this, and this. And here's what was in this sheet. It was all of those ugly things. And the voice said, who brings this sheet down full of ugly food, the voice says, hey, I know you're hungry. Why don't you get up and eat? Simon Peter must have thought it was some sort of a joke or a test. And he says, no, Lord, I actually am a good insider. I am not going to do that thing. I am not going to violate these rules that make me an insider by eating the outsider's food. The voice says, you are calling something dirty that I have called clean. You are calling something outside that I claim should be inside. You all, this happened three times. Friends, if you have the same dream and you hear God's voice three times, please pay attention. (laughs) Three times. Three times God said to Peter, hey, what you have called profane, I have called clean. Heard the message so many times that Simon Peter started to wonder if we were really talking about food. And the voice said, yeah, it's about more than food. Somebody's knocking at the door for you. You should go with them. Simon Peter goes downstairs. Sure enough, there's somebody there. These are the messengers from Cornelius' household saying, hey, our boss, the Roman centurion, yeah, an outsider. Yes, a part of the Roman, the Roman guard. Yes, the Roman army that helped put Jesus to death. But he really wants you to come to his house. And Simon Peter, having just seen this vision, Simon Peter says, okay, I will go to the home of Cornelius. I will go because I have seen this vision. And in this vision, I really believe now that God was talking about something more than food. And so he goes. And he arrives at the home of Cornelius and turns out there's a lot of people there. And Simon Peter says to them, you yourselves know I can be in trouble just for being here with all my insider friends. You yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate or even visit a Gentile. But God said that things were changing, that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Have you ever thought of someone as profane or unclean? You don't have to answer out loud, and I'd prefer you not point. (laughs) But have you ever thought of someone as profane or unclean? Let Let me finish that sentence. Have you ever thought of someone to be profane or unclean in violation of Scripture? Simon Peter goes into this home, a clear violation of insider school protocol. (laughs) He goes in, and he does what Simon Peter does. He starts to talk. He says this, 
okay, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, reveres him, respects him, and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, and these are loaded words here. He is Lord of all. And if you're gonna say that about Jesus, then you're saying something else about Caesar. If you're gonna say that about Jesus, then you're saying something else about Biden. If you're gonna say that about Jesus, you're saying something else about Trump. If you're going to say that about Jesus, you're saying something else about, oh, sorry, your boss. Your boss. And then he tells the story. Because Peter knows. And now we too can know something more about Jesus and his mission. God in Christ was sticking to the dream of reaching all people that we hear about all the way back in Genesis 12, and what the people of God were unable to do, the person of God, that is the Christ, did. Did. Verse 37, that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Love this. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus, God incarnate, God with skin on, comes to us, lives among us, experiences everything we experience in our day-to-day lives, and that includes fear, anxiety, humiliation, disconnection, isolation, loneliness, agony, death. And in the resurrection, Christ overcomes all of it, even sin, even death. And in this victory, finally proves to everyone paying attention that this king is greater than Caesar, greater than Herod, greater than Biden, greater than Trump. Only this king, this king only, has conquered life and death, and in so doing, has ended the discussion. Christ is the ultimate king, the victorious Messiah, the Lord and judge of all, the living and the dead. None are beyond his reach. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I'm going to do my best to try to describe to you what happens next. Even before there was an altar call, before the people had a chance to make a move toward the front where the altars are, right? Before all of that, God arrives on the scene in very characteristic sorts of ways. In fact, you could call this a second Pentecost because... While Peter was still speaking, the Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And it looked a whole lot like it did all the way back in Acts chapter 2. You remember what happened there, right? The Spirit shows up. People are caught up, swept up. And they are given the capacity to tell the gospel story in other tongues. But what we mean here is languages. Languages. So that 
it can be demonstrated everyone is included, regardless of your language group, everyone is included in this gospel story because this Jesus does intend to be Lord of all. Then Peter, having seen the Spirit fall on them, having seen the Spirit fall before there was any indication from the congregation that they had even responded, Peter sees, and the group now sees, that God shows no partiality and welcomes and receives us before we receive God. That's what we Nazarenes mean when we use the terminology of prevenient grace. And Peter, in his surprise, pronounces that they should be baptized. But the water baptism comes after spirit baptism. Baptism is the church's response of inclusivity given what God has done in Christ. That was a great place for an amen, so I'm going to read again just to give you a chance to gather a deep breath. Ready? Baptism is the church's response of inclusivity given what God has done in Christ. Pretty good. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then these outsiders, now insiders, people who had the different eating rules, right? They invited Peter and his companions to stay with them, and they stayed for several days and probably ate stuff on the naughty list. Because the rules are different, y'all. In chapter 11, Peter gets called on the carpet. The insiders, where the insider school was in Jerusalem, said, what have you done? What have you done to us? You've watered us down by including them. What have you done? Peter retells the story and says, look, I preached. I told the story of our Savior. And when I told the story of our Savior, the Spirit shows up. And they had the same reaction to the Spirit as we did back in Acts chapter 2. And when they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the people of OKC first the repentance that leads to life. Forgiveness is yours for the taking. Forgiveness, like hospitality, though, works best when it is received, when it is accepted, when it is acknowledged. I, I was talking to our favorite breakfast makers over here this morning. We, we will get back to that place when we will eat again here. I'm sure of it. We will. Here at the church, we will host dinners for folks who belong to this family of faith, folks who don't yet belong to this family of faith, and folks who may never belong to this family of faith, but we will host them nonetheless because that's who God is, and that's who we are trying to be, and someday we will host dinners in our homes again, and someday we'll be hosted for other dinners in other people's homes because that's who God is, and that's who we're trying to be. And this is what we mean when we say that love wins. Love wins what? Well, love wins over all competing powers that try to organize us according to their political interests. 
Love wins over resentment and scorekeeping. Love wins over that which would distance and isolate us from one another. Love wins over your failures and everything that you, you might worry might cost you an invitation to sit and eat with Jesus, who is now knocking at your heart's door. Love wins over your habits over your hatred, over your inclination towards selfishness that's so deep-seated that some of you have given up trying to beat yourselves into submission. And love wins, actually, where your effort can't. You do remember, right, that after the resurrection, Jesus seeks out Simon Peter, who had dis disowned him publicly and painfully three times. Jesus seeks him out, and remember what he does? He makes him breakfast. <laughs> and love wins over death itself, the biggest bully on the block of life, the terror of our existence, the human motivator of so much sin and self-orientation. Love wins there too. And now, the invitations to new life are on the table before you, church. It's your move. I have a clip from this Anton, Antoine Fisher movie that I gotta play for you. It's the best copy I could find but it is also the best rendition of what I think the celebration could look like. Let me catch you up. Antoine finally finds his mother. It's painful. It's painful, but he forgives her. In the process, he finds the rest of that family, and you can guess what's coming. Mm -hmm. 
There is one word that encapsulates the message of Easter. It is welcome. Welcome. You don't know what I've done. I don't need to. You're welcome. You know what group of people I belong to? Doesn't matter. There's not any more insiders and outsiders. There's no us and them. There's just us. (laughs) Because God said so.